Salut, David. Hey. What is new, my friend? Um, what is new? That's a good question. We haven't been in the studio in this way in quite some time. And while you're out of town, a lot of stuff happened here. I mean, I was I was following it on the World Wide Web and we talked by text message. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we can actually let any more episodes go by without touching on some of them, right? Yeah. I mean, of all the things that have been happening in Montreal within the scope of the show, I feel like there's been this trend around a certain type of anti-Semitism rearing its head inside of leftist spaces. Hot take, David. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, do you, do you think this, that's this true? Is, uh, yes, I, I do not want to make light. I think it's come up in different ways in the last couple months, or, or it feels like it's been more present. It still feels like because we don't really have a great grasp on how to talk about and define anti-Semitism, it becomes a little squishy and hard to kind of get a hold on. I don't know. It seemed a little straightforward to me this time. The thing that's difficult is that it coincided with actually some wins. Like you had the Green Party of Canada yes. coming out and supporting BDS formally. 100%, David. But then prior to this whole discussion around BDS, a former member of the Green Party had come out as a Holocaust denier. And so you have this mix of obviously a good political outcome that's in support of Palestinian liberation mixed with this unfortunate anti-Semitic worldview of one person. However, it gets mixed together and then we end up having to like disentangle and deal with both of them. Yeah. Or at the same time, the World Social Forum that was in, uh, scheduled for Montreal fairly recently while you're gone. Yes. Um, keep, please keep telling me that I missed uh, important <laughs> things. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that happened of all the debacles and, and many problems with the World Social Forum, um, one of the things that happened was unfortunately they didn't endorse BDS at the conference, but they had a lot of pro-Palestinian programming. Do we think it's important to explain what the World Social Forum is, or can people use their Google to do so? I think people can just look it up. Okay. Big leftist conference. Send us an email if you, and we'll explain it to you. But at the same time, there was an anti-Semitic workshop that yes. was submitted from yes. a fringe group, and was it was incorporated into the program. That was a dicey workshop description. Which made it super easy for anyone to condemn... Uh, Any the... form of Palestine organizing that was happening. Exactly. And in fact, that's what the Jewish Defense League in some ways, kind of used to backtrack and explain that that's why they were actually at the conference. Yeah, but the thing is, that I don't think it's so, like you were saying before, it's like very abstract and like we don't entirely have a handle on it. It just attaches itself. But I, I think it is more clear cut here. Like in, in all these situations, and there is another situation with a local progressive writer who we both felt was engaging in similar activity, yeah. where in, in leftist spaces, where there isn't a systemic analysis of how power operates, yeah increasingly those spaces allow for conspiracy theorists. No, I know. But David, the thing that I'm saying is hard to disentangle is just the fact that a lot of people on the left and a lot of groups don't make that disconnect. But, but the thing is that, like, I don't think it's actually clear to people, either on the left or generally, the link between the presence of conspiracy theory with the inevitability of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like, unless they're intentionally confronted by a more robust systemic analysis. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. Yeah, and so over, over the past several months in Montreal, there have just been instance after instance of leftist spaces that have had their systemic analyses ideologically diluted and have allowed in 9-11 truthers and other conspiracy theorists. David, I don't think you could have uh, created a better segue for our interview guest today. <laughs> Unfortunately, this dynamic is not exclusive to the Canadian context. Several weeks ago in New York City, a 9-11 truther, anti-Semitic individual ended up speaking at what was perceived to be a fairly leftist space. 
Yeah, the, the space is called the Brooklyn Commons, and we're going to talk about it in our interview today. But they were hosting someone named Christopher Bolin, who is a far-right, white nationalist-affiliated, anti-Semite, and Holocaust denier. So we reached out to Spencer Sunshine, someone who was involved in the opposition to the actual event, to talk a little bit more about the organizing and what actually took place. Uh, very sorry to cut in right here. What are you doing, sir? I think that there are two things that we need to tell the listeners before we continue with the show. What are those things? This feels like half of an ad, but it's hard to advertise for yourself. Uh, are we advertising for our own show on our show? Yes. Or, no, David, I think I would call it a reminder to listeners of the podcast. I remind them to do what? Two major things. Okay. The first one we've talked about before many times. Can you guess what it is? To subscribe to the podcast. I feel like most people who listen are subscribing, but for people who aren't listening, please subscribe. But this feels like a 0.5 because my one is... Okay, sorry. What, what is what is the what are we asking for them to do? We're asking them to give us a positive review on iTunes. Okay, <laughs> it really helps all the podcast gods. In fact, actually, if you email trafepodcast at gmail.com and say that you would like to write a review, Sam or David, aka David or myself, will in fact write the review, and you can just submit it onto the iTunes page. <laughs> Highly unethical. <laughs> uh, hello, iTunes. Point number two is something that we have not talked about before. So what is it? the voice memo idea oh yes okay so if you have any input for the show if you have a dispatch from the field of uh, the jewish institutional world if there's anything you want to share with trafe listeners or the hosts of trafe we think it'd be really great if you just recorded it on if you have a smartphone you can record it as a voice memo any other recording device record it similarly just keep it to about you know one minute or so Ideally lower than a minute, maybe let's try for 30 seconds to a minute. But uh, if you send that over to trafepodcast at gmail.com, we're going to include those in our show from here on out. So we'd love to hear any of your stories, any insights you have, whatever's going on, we'd love for you to send it our way. So David, could you synthesize this brief interlude? Uh, write an iTunes review, and if you have any input or stories or things you want to share, just record it as a voice memo and send it to trafepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Now back to regularly scheduled programming. Spencer, could you uh, just tell people a bit about who you are and where you're coming from? Sure. My name is Spencer Sunshine. I live in uh, Brooklyn, New York. lived here quite a while now, I think 16, 17 years, long enough that my brain forgets. Uh, I'm an anti-fascist uh, researcher, writer, and activist, and I'm particularly interested in issues about left-right crossover movements. It's been a long time um, studying and being interested in questions of anti-Semitism on the left, and so when Christopher Bowen popped up on the radar speaking uh, in a left-wing, popular left-wing space in Brooklyn, I became very interested in what was going on and why that was happening. For people who are completely unfamiliar with what the Brooklyn Commons is, about who Christopher Bowen is, uh, before we talk about all the details or even talk about how you came to this, can, can you give people a bit of an understanding of what happened and who the players are? Sure. So the... Uh, Brooklyn Commons is a space in central Brooklyn in a rather um, wealthy neighborhood. 
it is a three-story building off Atlantic Avenue, and the whole building is an activist space, basically. The bottom floor is a cafe with a nice venue in back, a rather large one, which is hard to come by in New York in movement spaces. So there's all kinds of different speakers, you know, are, are booked to speak in the back. And the other floors of the building are all rented out to left-wing projects, including uh, Jacobin Magazine, uh, the Independent newspaper, which came out of the Independent Media Centers here, a group called Fury, which is a, a kind of radical grassroots, low-income organizing group, the Marxist Education Project, which comes out of the Breck Farm, a long-standing Marxist school, some um, WBAI, which is the Pacific Station here, a left-wing, the left-wing radio network in the U.S., and other projects like that. So it's a solidly left-wing space. And Christopher Bullen is a far-right anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist. His origins are in a group called the Liberty Lobby, which was founded by Willie Cardo, who's sort of a, one of the godfathers of the U.S. neo-Nazi movement. Now, Bullen worked for Cardo from 2000, or worked for the Liberty Lobby from 2000 to 2006. He was both a staffer at the American Free Press newspaper, and he was a contributing editor at this Holocaust denial publication, The Barnes Review. And during that time, he's said to be one of the first people that popularized this conspiracy theory that it was a Jewish cabal that did 9-11. So there's various permutations in the 9-11 truth movement who deny that it was part of al-Qaeda who did the attacks. There are non-bigoted versions of the 9-11 truth conspiracy theory and bigoted versions. So this is the most bigoted of the versions. It was created by Bullen while he was a member of the Liberty Lobby. And then he broke with them in 2006. They fired him astoundingly for making stories up, since almost all their stories are made up. And he went out on his own. There's a small industry of 9-11 truth conspiracy theorists who get tours and sell books and collect donations from their webpage and all this stuff. And so he kept promoting this line that was a Jewish cabal. He says it's a Jewish Zionist cabal is usually what he says. And he's been around for quite a while. I hadn't uh, heard of him before, but I was on um, the Commons is, you know, an interesting space. I've been there twice this summer to see anti-fascist presentations. I even was trying to book it myself for a project that is coming out. And I saw on their email that a speaker was there who was going to talk about the Zionist neocon cabal that did 9-11 and controls our media. I was like, well, this is just all a bunch of anti-Semitic language here. And I looked at the guy's website, and it, it, he's a pretty explicit anti-Semite. He even says things like, Jews are like wolves, um, doesn't care about Palestinian rights. So it's a pretty clear case that he emerges out of the neo-Nazi networks in the United States. This created an outcry in the, in the, in the left-wing community. All kinds of groups asked the owner of the commons, Melissa Ennin, to cancel this. He came out the commons. People didn't know this. I didn't know this. It was owned by a single person. He was a wealthy heiress, it comes out, and uh, she owns the whole building, and she just, she refused to answer uh, emails and calls, uh, so the event happened, there was a protest, uh, it wasn't, it was really organized less than a day before, um, because people were waiting for her to reply, she finally, like, I think the day before the protest, wrote a totally, like, obnoxious letter, uh, blaming uh, the people who criticized her and calling them whiny safe spacers and saying it was fine to have this this fellow there. Like, what is your take on why the owner wanted to host this far-right conspiracy theorist? There's two things. One, she said that she just doesn't check the bookings, uh, who they are, anything about them. That seems like a pretty terrible strategy. Yeah, and the second thing is it came out that she herself is a 9-11 truther, and about 10 years ago she had 
hosted a weekend conference, 9-11 Truth Conference in New York City that included a number of far-right figures, uh, including Alex Jones, uh, Kevin Barrett, who wow. later became a Holocaust denier. So we, uh, her statements, if you read between the lines, she seems to believe that all 9-11 truthers should be allowed to have a platform, even if they are clearly anti-Semitic. So, so what do you think about the ways in which a place or a space that kind of promotes itself as this leftist kind of gathering space also then fosters these far-right racist speakers and kind of creates a platform for both? Well, that is exactly what's happening. It's a, a dangerous situation. A lot of progressive spaces, physical spaces, demonstrations, groups, magazines, and other things are targeted by certain kinds of far-right political actors, including those who promote white separatism, sometimes under a guise of pan-separatism or pan-secessionism, as well as anti-Semitic factions. And people on the left need to exclude people who, I mean, we need to have a, a pretty broad range of what the discussion consists of, but once they really cross the line into pretty explicit promotion of white separatism, of anti-Semitism, of Islamophobia, you know, clear narratives of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, uh, we need to kick these people out because they want to come into our movement. And in this case, it's a very intentional strategy of Boylan's people to target progressive spaces in fact, this church in New York City, they targeted because it was a Presbyterian church and the Presbyterians endorsed BDS. And this church is a history of social justice activism that they're specifically targeting left-wing and progressive spaces to go and try to cross-recruit from them. And we need to make sure that they can't cannibalize their spaces and they can't use their platforms. We need to kick them out and we need to pressure people to do the right thing about that. And Spencer, you were a part of a protest outside of the events at the Commons? It, it was a protest, and I did jump in and help. Somebody else called it, but I did help with the organizing. Yeah, how did it go? Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, there were about thirty people there. People were angry, and I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of anger. It was mostly mostly Jews, and there was like a lot of raw anger. A lot of those people knew Melissa or had links to the Commons, and they really felt stabbed in the back by what she did. One person went in, and uh, I think they bought a ticket or something, and they, they heckled from inside and got kicked out. Near the end, a few people walked in once the security had left and were, were thrown out. They hired you know, some really aggressive security, private security. One of them threatened me. Melissa came out, and the owner came out and argued with people, and people gave her their mind. It was pretty intense, not so eventful as you're used to in a really militant protest, but it was, it was pretty raw and intense. People were really, really angry, and the arrogant response of Melissa has really poured gasoline in that fire. She refuses to acknowledge that there's even anything wrong with what happened or, or that there could be something wrong with progressives hosting anti-Semites. And, and it seems from the internet, or it seems from stuff that I've read online, that um, folks are kind of not associating that much with the commons from here on out? Well, no official boycott has been called. Almost all the projects in the spaces, or at least individuals from the projects, wrote letters asking her to cancel. Oh. A state senator and two city councilors made statements saying she should cancel. One class, not a um, university, it's an unaccredited school that teaches classes, that taught classes there, pulled all their classes, partly because they were uh, taught a lot of Frankfurt School stuff, and the Frankfurt School holds that conspiracy theories in themselves, you know, are, are linked into anti-Semitism and are, and are problematic. And the person who ran the school is like, I can't talk against this on one hand and be part of it on the other, and, and pulled all the, all the classes of the Brooklyn Institute for Social Research. And yeah, other people are definitely canceling. The Baffler canceled an event there. Um, I and other organizers have not called for a boycott yet, although I'm sure other individuals are clearly promoting this. Try to sit down with the tenants 
because if we boycott the whole space, there's all these progressive groups that are there who are on our side about this. And we want to, if we boycott the building, we boycott them, which we don't want to do. So we're all trying to sit down and um, have a discussion about how we move forward. Yeah, like I know one of the groups that had used this space before this event was, if not now, a leftist Jewish organization who we've had on the show before. Um, and, and I know that some members were involved in the protest and will no longer yeah. be using the space. So yes, it's true. If not now, as well as a number of Jewish organizations, as well as non-Jewish Palestine solidarity organizations made statements condemning this. I mean, this is not just an attack on the Jewish community in New York, but also it delegitimizes Palestine solidarity efforts. It's bad news for everybody. Could um, you speak to that a little more, actually? I mean, obviously, it's anti-Semitic and it should be opposed, but it also negatively contributes to Palestinian solidarity efforts, right? Absolutely. I mean, this guy, he uses the word Zionist just as a pure code word, so he just doesn't, in the most obvious way, appear to be anti-Jewish, although there are explicitly and specifically anti-Jewish statements on his website. Uh, you know, the interaction between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism is very complex, and many people want to take all forms of anti-Zionism, as well as all kinds of criticisms of Israel and claim that they're anti-Semitic. And things like Bullen just add fuel to the fire because they can just, or that the left wing is anti-Semitic in and of itself. They can point to him as an example and then say, oh, a whole left, uh, or all Palestine solidarity, or all anti-Zionism is reducible to Bullen's views. And so allowing him a platform gives ammunition to critics in a very easy way, in a very obvious way. Some, something that I'm wondering about is what the relationship is of Christopher Bowen to this burgeoning, like they're calling themselves the alt-right, but what, what his relationship is to this new white supremacist movement that we're seeing. I really think that there's a lot of relationship. The, alt, the alt-right was originally a number of white nationalists, I think all in the United States, that were adopting some of the more non-traditional kinds of fascism and more intellectual forms of white nationalism. So some more academic justifications of racism and anti-Semitism, as well as third position politics, which is a kind of European fascist current that stresses racial separatism and anti-capitalism and uh, often ecology and animal rights, as well as some mystical non-Christian fascist elements. They were trying to form a more intellectual kind of of white nationalism and a little more hip. Uh, It became kind of dumber and more media savvy, like younger hipstery people who knew how to use the internet and fixated on making memes and, you know, using Twitter very heavily. And this is what um, became the movement that influenced Donald Trump. So the relationship between the alt-right thinkers and what the alt-right is now is a little dodgy. They both all use the term, but the older, more serious people are more sophisticated and less influential in a way than the younger, younger media people who are cruder but have been able to push their talking points into the Trump campaign and elsewhere. I don't know what Bullen's influence is. I mean, I wouldn't lump Bullen in with them. He's more like an older, he comes out of this neo-Nazi crowd from 10 or 15 years ago, and he's tried to well, mainstream himself by going into 9-11 truth circles. We, we touched on this a little earlier, but I wanted to know, or I want to kind of drill down a little bit on the question, as far as why you think certain left spaces might be susceptible to this kind of ideology. Like, do you think that, like, obviously it's very important for us to contest it for a multitude of reasons, but do you think that there's a vulnerability maybe, or a lack of power on the left, even within the left, that the spaces become susceptible to intrusions from people like this? You mean physical spaces or, or any kind of... I mean, both on both on both registers. I mean, more on an ideological level. They, well, so the, the, in this case, the very clear example that Melissa Annan is a 9-11 truther, and so the entry point was 9-11 truth. For other leftist groups, the advocacy of racial separatism, usually by historically oppressed groups, 
becomes an entry point for white separatism, where they say, well, you already endorse a black separatism or you know, whatever. And they say, well, you should, we're totally for that. We just also want to have white separatism. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but they say it's the same thing. And people do gain entryway by having that argument. And then like animal rights groups, there's a lot of people in the animal rights movement that they're like, anyone for veganism and against vivisection or whatever can join our movement. So Nazis come and say, yeah, well, we want to join your movement. Why are you litmus testing us about these issues that have nothing to do with it? Same thing with other single issue stuff. This happens in radical environmentalism. You know, some of these radical environmentalists are against, quote, the left, who they stereotype as a sort of like old Stalinist pro-industrialization left. And there are people like that. And so... Certain kinds of esoteric fascists will go to them and be like, yeah, we're also against, you know, modern society and, you know, we're also against this left and we're also for having a, a rooted relationship of the people in the land, you know, an interest in European paganism or there's many other ideas that are close together. Um, and of course, the Palestine Solidarity Movement is targeted explicitly by anti-Semitic far-right people for rather obvious reasons. And they'll go and they say, we hate Israel too and we want to destroy Zionism, um, there's just there's all kinds of different little hooks that they'll come and they'll use for each way to enter into uh, left-wing groups. Um, Spencer, I feel like we could talk. I I would love to talk about this for longer, but we got we got to wrap things up. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's someone uh, banging at the door, basically. Uh, but yeah. thank you so much for talking with us about this. Thank you for inviting me on the program. Take care. Have a great Bye. night. Bye. Bye. So this is our first episode that deals with the radical right, uh, Jews, anti-Semitism, and kind of the interplay between all of them. Yeah, we're going to be airing an episode that focuses on the rise of what's being called the alt-right in about two weeks. So keep your podcast feeds... Keep your ears peeled. Yeah, however however you access our content, be aware uh, that that's coming. So stay tuned. Also, the uh, progressive writer that we talked about in the intro to the show, we actually had a conversation with him about the ways that we thought some of his work was fueling anti-Semitic tropes. So if you want to hear an hour of us talking with him about that, you can uh, look in the show notes. We put a link in there. Trade Podcast is... David. And... Sam. Where do we record this episode? CKT. Under the giant cross of secularism? Unoccupied Gunnigahaga territory. No thanks to the person who runs the Brooklyn Commons. Nope, certainly not. David, we already mentioned this before, but people should give us an iTunes review and send us voice memos. Mm-hmm. Um, follow, follow us on all the social medias. What else do we say here? See you soon. Bam, bazinga.